0: You're listening to the No Fartin' Around Show, we're all about taking your marketing and business from the toilet to the bank. I'm your host, Ashton Mae Fernandez, and this is the only show where making a disruptive noise smells like success. Each week, I interview high-level disruptors who are making a big stink in their industry by doing things their own way, while you listen in and ask a question or two, talk show, live studio audience style. Expect all things marketing, messaging, money, and mindset, and only strategies that don't include farting and darting are treating your clients like an afterthought. So if you're ready to stop farting around and actually scale your business, let's cut to the cheese and get on with the show. I am a little fired up. I have my coffee ready to go. It is also totally random. It is a overcast, super rainy day, and it is like maybe it's 67, 68 degrees outside, which is honestly to me, the most perfect weather that you could possibly have. My husband makes fun of me and he's, I don't understand why you love rainy days. And I'm like, I love rainy days. I get the most done when it's a rainy day. And I don't know why it just makes me so happy. So I'm coming so happy this morning, coming happy to you guys. Okay. So I titled this for the Facebook training. So If you're listening to this as a podcast, I might again, change this, change this uh, title, who knows, but I'm just going to go with it for now. And it might get changed when I do the podcast, because sometimes I like to change it if I think of a better name, but I'm going to be talking about simple habits that wealthy people do and why we are so resistant to it. If you guys don't know if you don't know, I'm a huge book nerd. I am also a speed reader. I took a speed reading course many years ago from Jim Quick, and I could read possibly, I I read a book in about two days, two days, three days, if I am um, slow. But most of the time, I can read a book in two days, usually. And so I have also gone down, you know, the rabbit hole of studying the brain, why certain words that we use, why certain things that we say, the way that we say them, how they actually create a response. And this is NLP. So I've gone through an NLP practitioner certification, um, as well as a hypnotherapy certification. And hypnotherapy is basically using NLP to be able to Offer suggestions to someone while they're in a very relaxed state. They are, again, it's like the same state if you're meditating. I also want to throw that out there because a lot of times when I hear hypnotherapy, and I used to think this too, people think they're like actually asleep. They're not asleep. They are in a very meditative state. They can remember everything. It's not some like crazy thing, but you're offering someone's brain suggestions. And as I've really studied money mindset and I've really studied. Books that talk about building wealth and rich people. I've done like a ton of of work on that because I grew up very poor and I had a ton of negative thoughts when it came to money. And I started seeing how a lot of those subconscious thoughts, those subconscious beliefs, like really held me back in my business. Also, uh, it basically trained me to use certain words, right? Because I say all the time, your messaging and your marketing is a reflection. Of your mindset, of your beliefs, of your programming. So, a lot of the times you can get pretty frustrated because you're attracting a client who, for lack of better words, triggers you. Like they do something and then it upsets you. It's because you called that person in because you might have a lot of those same beliefs, right? Like a lot of the times people hold up a mirror to us through their actions. And I find that to be really beautiful. And since I love messaging, I've and and studying the brain of how your ideal clients can process certain things or certain words that you say and how you say it. I've started to notice that. And it's so fascinating, so interesting to me. So I would use that in terms of marketing messaging. And so when I've studied, again, wealthy people, rich people of our day, and have read so many books, I've started to see that a lot of the times they have certain thoughts, they have certain beliefs um, that are across the board. And we've we've heard so many of them, right? Like they all, and they say a lot of rich people do X, y, and Z, right? Like they have a morning routine. like a, I actually don't want to focus on the how. I want to focus on the who. What are the beliefs they have? What are the thoughts they have? And then also explore why most people don't, practice these beliefs and why you can be resistant to them. But yeah, so I'm just going to jump right into it. I've wrote down a few and these aren't normal ones. They aren't normal ones that are talked about, but I will say some of them kind of sound like common sense, but I'm going to go really deep into how I interpret it. So the first one, the very first thing (laughs) that I want to talk about is the fact that wealthy people. And people who are rich, and again, I don't even, I'm going to do a whole nother podcast on your thoughts about wealth versus rich, because that was completely mind blowing when I asked my clients, do they think there's a difference between wealth and rich? And the—and I've asked my Facebook page, my Facebook group, the answers I got were insane and all subjective, right? Everyone had a different thought. Everyone had a different opinion, which I just thought was so hilarious. So I'm going to do a whole nother episode on that. But I'm going to use them interchangeably in this, in this episode because they can be used interchangeably. I'm just going to say that. So they're going to be used interchangeably. So one of the first things that, like a wealthy habit is what I'm going to call this, like wealthy habits, wealthy beliefs, is that they ask good questions. And I want to say this because I don't mean they ask others good questions. They ask themselves good questions or they allow somebody else to ask them a good question. Now, I'm going to talk about this because for, you know, the first maybe 2 or 3 years of my business, I noticed that when I was like below the six-figure mark, I noticed that a lot of the spaces I was in were people always complaining. They were always in victim mentality. It was always like, this is going wrong in my business and I don't know what to do. And I'm so confused and woe is me. And it was just all of these things. And what I never ever saw was I never saw someone asking them questions. They would always just agree with them. Oh my gosh, I totally feel you. I completely understand. You're not alone. And While I don't think that's bad to offer support, I also think though you're allowing that person to stay in that negative victim mentality because you aren't helping them see, you're not allowing them to become aware. And so I started to notice that and I honestly did not have someone in my space to ask me hard questions. I am the person, I will admit I am a person who I love to create tension. Like most people think that might be really rude in me. I literally think I was put on this planet to create tension because I love, love asking really good and really hard and thought provoking questions because it gets people out of this pattern of being in a victim, really being victim. And so when I started studying this and I was like thinking about this episode, I was like, gosh, I really want to talk about that. Is that they ask good questions, they ask quality questions. And again, They ask it to themselves because I went down a journey of, again, didn't have anyone to really ask me the questions And I wasn't in a position to hire. Well, I thought I wasn't in a position to hire a coach at the time. Now I'm like, God, I wish I would have hired a coach from day one. However, I started doing it on my own. So I started asking my own self, the hard questions, the good questions. And I know we've all heard, we've all heard the phrase, the quality of questions determine your quality of thoughts. Because think about that. When you ask someone a question, they have to think about the answer. So if you ask a good quality question, that is going to determine the quality of thoughts to get the answer. And I'm going to take it a step further from what I do is that I also think using certain language when you ask those quality questions, will determine the quality of thought using certain language. Because we all know, and I've used so many examples in here, that certain words can have a negative connotation to your ideal client. So using the example in the previous episode and in a previous training I've done in here where I talked about being at that marriage conference where the chaplain kept using the word trigger in an audience of military, like spouses, right? If you have not heard that, go back and listen to the other episode. I can link it in the, in the show notes below. But if I were to ask someone in that audience, let's say my ideal clients were military spouses. If I were to ask them the question, what triggers you? Oh my gosh, that would be. such a negative feeling. And I'm not going to get a quality answer from that. I might get a hostile answer, honestly, or they might shut down. They might not do anything. So I would need to use different language. I would need to be even more, I would even be more specific. What is something that your spouse does that puts you in a feeling of anger? Mm that's a way better question than what triggers and i used completely different language but i got that. i got the same point across i really hope that makes sense and this is actually i'm going to i'm going to do this example because when we again we all know that our thoughts determine our feelings determine our actions determine our results so think about the thoughts like the thoughts that you have are the things that you say, even to just ordinary questions. So I actually had this happen to me on the 12th floor of my building is that's like the main co-working space. And there was a guy that I connected with. And I just said, Hey, good morning. How are you? It's a very common question. He, turned around and he said, I am freaking fantastic. And I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, that's great. And he was like, how are you? And I said, You know what? I'm freaking fantastic too. And my my body, even just saying it, my body was like, "Wow, this is so good." I felt good. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, "Oh my God!" If let's say I replied, "Fine," the words that you use is a reflection of your mindset. So if you're over here saying, "Oh, I'm fine," you're going to actually produce the emotion of you being fine. And like that, really, how you want to feel? Do you want to just feel fine? you want to just feel good? Or do you want to feel freaking fantastic? Right? I know that's a really silly example, but it's something that I see, especially with people who are extremely wealthy, or they have a lot of money, because they ask themselves good questions to get good answers, i.e. solutions, and especially around money. And they didn't ask questions like, how am I going to make this money? I mean, that's a good question, but it's not a great question, right? It's not like a very awesome question. So I, I don't know. That's just something I've started to realize. And also prying and asking deeper questions of what are you making that mean about you? What is, what is your hesitancy towards going all in on that? That's another question that I ask. We're going to get down, I think in the next one. Yeah. In the next one, I'm going to talk about this and I'll actually tie back up to this first one because I think they go hand in hand, but yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to jump right into the next one and then I'll bring it back. I'll loop it back up to this one because there was also something like an answer to, to determine what is a good question. So the second point, the second habit belief that I have seen a lot of people who Are in that wealthy status is that they make decisions and they commit to it. Okay. I know that sounds like super, and you're like, oh my God, how many times do I have to hear commitment, commit, commit? I swear I worked with a coach that literally his his answer to everything was, you're just not committed. You're just not committed. And it drove me freaking insane. It drove me insane because he never actually dug deeper into understanding your beliefs that were keeping you from fully being committed. And I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about that. So they make decisions and they commit to it. Okay. And here is why you are resistant to actually full on committing or you're resistant, um, not resistant to full on committing as well, but also kind of a roadblock is what I'd say. Most people commit to trying. They don't commit to doing. Think about that for a minute. Most people commit to trying, not to doing. What does it mean to commit to doing? Commit to doing means you eliminate every other possibility, but the one you chose. You completely eliminate any other decision that you chose. And I'm going to actually give you a really awesome example that I switched with my clients. I don't allow them to do this in my space. And it's so simple, but it is, it's something that I see so many people do. And on a psychological level, it keeps you committed to trying and not committed to doing. You guys have all heard when you set goals, you should set a good, a better, and a best goal. Nope. 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 Don't believe it. Absolutely. I don't let any of my clients do it. If they're like, okay, my Google, absolutely not. You're going to pick one goal and that's what you're going to focus on. And the reason why is because if you have three different targets you're trying to hit, you're going to commit to trying to hit one of them, not actually doing what needs to be done to hit the one. I hope that makes sense. But that is something that I see all the time. They commit to trying not doing so this is also seen i'm gonna i'm gonna go on my side of the expertise for a second and talk about how you're actually projecting this into your messaging you're projecting this into your messaging you actually use language that calls in people or who are committed to trying and not committed to doing want to know the biggest culprit see it on every freaking sales page and I completely eliminate it. They'll say something like, you've tried everything and nothing worked. You literally are saying, oh, I'm calling in the people who are committed to trying, not doing. Think about that for a minute. And when you say you've tried everything and it didn't work, you're literally calling in someone who's, yep, I'm not committed because I gave up. I didn't hit, maybe hit the lower goal, but oh, I didn't hit the better goal. I didn't hit the best goal. And then you feel defeated. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on. But you're literally calling in that person. You're calling in that person. And then I even want to throw it. I just said this to a friend of mine the other day. We were talking about clients that you lowered your price for it. We were like, we're talking about back in the day. And I said, it's so funny because the clients who you lowered your price for, who came into your program and you bent over backwards, you over delivered, you did everything and they still didn't get the results or they weren't happy. Those are the ones that will make you question whether you're good at what you do. And... It will cause you to keep lowering your price because you are literally finding evidence that your price, the decision that you had decided to charge wasn't good enough. You didn't do it. You didn't stick to the price you charged. You tried to to charge that price and then you went. And it's so funny because it'll go in this spiral because I told, I was telling her, I said, man, the clients that I lowered my prices for back in the day, were the hardest clients I worked with and the ones that got the least results, versus the ones that I decided, okay, my offer is ten thousand dollars. They come in, and they were the easiest clients to work with, and they got the best results. It's so funny how that works, isn't it? It's so funny. But you have to make a decision and commit to it. And that was something that I said too. I made that decision. I said, I am not working with a client that is less than ten thousand dollars. Like ten thousand dollars is my price. That is the price of the offer. Nothing less than that. I don't care if you come to me and say, oh, I don't need all the, that is what my, that is what the offer price is. And then I also want to go on the flip side of this because I want to talk about indecision. And this is how, what I'm going to go back up to, to question one, I'm going to talk about indecision for a second, because I've had a lot of people tell me a lot of clients and then their client, my clients will say, my clients are so stuck in indecision. And I was like, actually, there's no such thing as indecision. And they would, they'll look at me funny and I'm like, indecision is a decision to not know or act. Like you're making a decision to be in indecision. Think about that for a minute. Indecision and saying, I don't know, is you committing, you making a decision to not know or to not act. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. Indecision is just a decision to not know or act. And I'm going to tie this back up to number one, because a way you can determine if you've asked a good question or not is if they do not answer with, I don't know. If they answer, I don't know, it was not a good enough question. It was not a good enough question. Oh, y'all, I'm, mm, this is so good. I love it. I also, I said earlier in this, that when they make a decision, they commit to it. Committing means you're eliminating any other decision, any other possibility. And the reason why people have so much trouble with this is because they always want a safety net. They are so terrified of fear. They are so terrified of fear. So they give themselves a safety net. But anytime you have a safety net, you will never, ever be committed to doing. You're only going to be committed to trying because you're like, I'm going to try and see what happens. And if it happens, then I won't need the safety net, won't need the safety net. But you're just setting yourself up to make a decision to commit to trying, not commit to doing. Because if you had no safety net, if you had no plan B, if you had no good goal, and you just had a best goal, you would do everything to make that goal happen. And I see this with so many entrepreneurs, and it's, man, I don't say don't be smart about it, but you also, you just have to be able to manage that. And you have to be able to, which is gonna bring me into my third thing, which is you have to focus on your thoughts and managing your mind first before you can focus on your actions. I'm going to say that again. You have to focus on, you have to focus on managing your mind and your thoughts first, not on your actions. And this is something I see so many entrepreneurs do is that they always try to focus on what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I'm going to give you a scenario. Have you ever been in a program, or if you, have you ever like been around anyone and you guys did the exact same steps, but for some reason, that person got a better result or they got a different result or a better result than you did. Isn't that weird? How that happens. Think about all the programs you have bought. And I've talked a lot about this, about knowing who exactly is a perfect fit and why I am so strict on ideal client and really focused on what is their awareness? What are their freaking thoughts? Because here's the thing. You can have Sally and you can have Susie both go through your program. They hear the same material. They take the same action and Susie might get a completely different result than Sally got wasn't any level of their capability, what the thing was their thoughts, their beliefs and how they felt during the program and how they actually took those actions. Because some person could do, physically do the same action, but have a completely different attitude behind it and get a completely different result. Why? And I like get so boggled by this all the time. I'm like, why in the world is everyone just trying to attract A client based off of take these actions and it'll work instead of going to the root first, which are their programming and they're, it's insane. And they use language like you've tried everything and nothing worked. That is, oh my, you're calling in someone who doesn't have the awareness that they need. You're not calling in an action taker because anyone who complains, i tried everything and it didn't work. What is everything? One or two things, three things. How many things have you actually tried? two or three things. But if you're automatically saying, Oh, I've tried everything, you are already in a victim mentality. And you are calling in that person for your program. Isn't that insane? It's so interesting. It's so interesting. And I even want to continue. I want to continue talking about this third one about managing your mind. Because I've heard that term so many times, but until I actually started to manage my mind, when I started to actually sit down and think, write out all of my freaking thoughts, write them all out, when they came to me, didn't judge them completely, I, I became, Brooke Castillo calls it a watcher of your thoughts, like you aren't your thoughts, you're a watcher of your thoughts. So I'm like, okay, I just look at myself as like a client, I'm like, let me write down every single thing that is in, in my head right now. And I'm just going to watch what happens. I'm going to look at those thoughts. I don't think about thought and be like, actually, why did you think that? What? I write it all down. No judgment whatsoever. And I just watch it all. Okay. Then I go through and I take responsibility. That should be number four. I'm not going to go into a number four, but that is another thing is that wealthy people take responsibility. Like they take responsibility. What that means is they take responsibility as in They know that they contributed to their result. I actually have all of my my mastermind girls. I have a mastermind that my one-on-one clients that they have the option to to go into after working with me one-on-one and it's only open to one-on-one clients. And we do a lot of mindset stuff. One of the things that I have them do every single day is I have them uh, in the Slack channel, write down a rose, which is something good that happened that day and write down a thorn. And I have them answer the question, How did I create this? And I have them do it on both the positive and the negative because they, I want them to see that they can take responsibility for the negative and the positive, and they have control over the negative and the positive. And also just asking themselves, well, how did I create this? In the negative, they also see, wow, this is a pattern. They started to see patterns and I do it with them. So I start to see my own patterns. And they'll see a pattern. And I have them practice this because I want them to become aware of it. And when they become aware, that's when they can start to manage it. You can't manage something you can't see. And I actually have them focus on it. And when I even do my thought, write all my thoughts down on a piece of paper, I look at all of them without judgment. And then I'll you know ask myself, how is this serving me? Because you guys, like you take, you have a negative thought because it serves you in some way, right? Everyone's so quick to resist the negative feeling, but like you, you do that. Like some people stay in indecision, right? I'm talking about indecision. Some people stay stuck in indecision because it gives them a sense of control over not failing. They think if I just don't make a decision, I don't have the opportunity to fail, And while they're sitting there and they're angry and they're frustrated and they're upset, they're creating that for them because they're getting something out of it and they're getting the sense of control. Isn't that hilarious how our brains do that? They're getting a sense of control over the opportunity of failure. A lot of people don't take action because they are afraid of the opportunity to fail. And you know what? um, i totally. Jess Ekstrom, she is a speaker. She's the founder of Headbands of Hope. She's actually very local to me and such an incredible person. And she has this quote that says, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go look it up now. It's something like, oh yeah, failure will always feel better than regret. Failure will always feel better than regret. And oh my gosh, do I love that. I'm like, dude, that should eliminate any person who wants to be stuck in indecision. It should eliminate every person who wants to be stuck in a decision because failure will always feel better than regret. I couldn't agree with her more. And I love that when I heard that. Oh gosh, yes, that's such a good one. But here's the thing. I when I do those thought, When I do all my thoughts down and I ask, what am I getting out of this? I also ask myself, what do I want? And I create thoughts that will get me to what I want. And I practice those thoughts. That's how I manage my mind is I practice those thoughts. And I'll say this too, because sometimes people try to go to the opposite thought. If Their thought is I'm not enough. And then they try to go, I am enough. They don't actually believe it. So it's going to just be some positive affirmation that they never actually embody because they don't truly believe it. So I try to make like a neutral thought and I'll practice that neutral thought until I can believe it and move on to another one. So if I said, oh, I'm not enough, I could practice the thought that's neutral of I'm capable of being enough. I'm on my way to enough. Now, I don't really believe that statement because I think to me, I think I'm not enough is just silly. I don't like I don't like that, but it does come up a lot. It comes up a lot for a lot of people. But if you can't debunk it, if you're like, oh, what is enough? and you actually show them the pattern, they'll still keep falling back into it because they don't have something else to believe. So you can believe a neutral thought. I'm capable of being enough. I'll use this example too. I had a lot of clients say, I just feel like there aren't enough leads. I just felt like they're like, oh yeah, I really want 10 people for my program, but that feels heavy. I'm like, what if you believed, can you believe I'm capable of getting 10 people? And when you say like, I'm capable, they're like, yeah, that feels really good. I'm like, that's the thought you need to believe. I'm capable of getting 10 clients versus there are not enough clients, right? I'm capable of getting 10 clients or it's possible to get 10 clients. It's another thing. And it's so silly because it's like such a neutral thought, but it, it, it starts to give them a positive feeling versus there are 10 clients. And again, back to the words you use and the way you ask questions and good questions and gosh, just so much language, so much language. And I also want to throw this out there because I actually heard this from Brooke Castillo a really long time ago. It was like one of her, like first like twenty podcasts I don't even remember like one of her first twenty podcasts. And I thought about it today because I was talking about practicing, and she actually said this, and it got it changed everything. She said. When you're not doing something, you're actually practicing not doing it. And it takes just as much effort to practice not doing something as it does to do something. (laughs) Let that one sit with you for a minute. When you're not doing something, you're practicing not doing it. So let's say you want to lose weight and you don't work out. You're practicing not working out. And it takes just as much effort to not practice it as it does to practice it. It takes just as much effort to practice believing that you're capable of getting 10 clients than it is to say, I don't have 10 clients. Oh my gosh, guys. Isn't that just insane? I swear that was like, that was so life changing for me because I just like, man, I'm practicing, not doing it. Right. No. And a lot of times in messaging, people say, Oh yeah, you're not taking action. No, they're taking action. They're taking action on not doing something. Like that's still action. They're practicing, not doing something. I'm telling y'all so good. And so To wrap that up with this third one, they focus on managing their mind over their thoughts. They focus on the root of what they believe and they position it to what they want. They practice what they want. That sounds so crazy, but they practice what they want. And they don't practice just action-wise physically. They practice mentally. They practice mentally what they want. And this is such the beautiful thing that I love about the human brain and just hypnotherapy and NLP in general is that your brain truly does not know the difference between reality and imagine like imaginary right like we truly do not your brain does not know the difference on its own the only reason why it knows the difference is because you have a thought telling it that it's not reality and this is why so many people do visualization exercises because When you can practice visualizing yourself having something that you want, you're training your brain to to believe that you already have it. And so guess what? It's going to find evidence to prove that you're getting there, that you're getting to what you want. It's so nuts and so crazy. But the reason why I'm so fascinated with messaging and words is because it is the core of what you believe, right? And for your ideal clients too. In your messaging, you are able to call in a client who already has certain beliefs that you want them to have that will make them a lot more capable of doing your action and getting a result of your program. And not only for your client, but also for you, this is why I'm so mindset heavy with my clients because I can 100% see their mindset reflected in their messaging. I'll give you an example. One of my clients, she kept using, she's an autoimmune movement coach. And we had this aha moment just on Tuesday because she kept telling me, I keep attracting clients who believe they can't do anything about their autoimmune disease. They always make an excuse of like, it's genetics or I don't have a choice. I like wrote it on the board because she was at my office and she was like, they don't have a choice. And when, she kept talking she said something like yeah it's an invisible like how we were talking about her idol clients how am i going to how am i going to know they have this when it's an invisible disease and i stopped for a minute and i'll also tell you that she has had all this mindset work around not being believed right and not being believed can happen when something is invisible see this pattern, this wheel, this whole pattern. And she kept saying, she kept calling autoimmune disease, the invisible disease. And so of course she was attracting clients. that kept being like, Oh, I can't do anything about it. I don't have a choice because it can't do anything about something you can't see. And so I told her, I was like, I would actually argue the fact that it's not an invisible disease because you can see symptoms. You can see symptoms of your autoimmune disease." And so therefore it's not invisible. And she just had this aha moment. And I was like, and you having this deep thought that you aren't going to be believed, you're almost projecting that in your messaging because you don't want the opportunity for someone to not believe you. So you're creating your messaging to repel clients because if you repel those clients, they don't have the opportunity to work with you and not get results and then you you prove the thought that you won't be believed you will. and like, and it was just this whole it's like this whole rooted thing it was like this whole thing right but we that is why mindset is so important because we had to figure out what was in her mind that was getting her to speak the words that she was speaking and drawing in the clients that she was drawing in this is the magic and it's also the magic of knowing 100% who your ideal client is because a lot of the times people have an idea, but it doesn't match. It doesn't match. Their messaging, their marketing doesn't match their ideal client. They're calling in someone completely different. And it's because their messaging is a reflection of them. Whew, so good. Okay, I'm gonna repeat all these. The first one was they asked good questions. And I said again, the quality of questions determine the quality of your thoughts. And I take it even deeper and say the certain language that you use to ask the question is a big determining factor of the answers that you're going to get. And the second was they make decisions and they commit to it, and being fully committed is eliminating any other decision, any other possibility. And I said most people commit to trying, not doing. And I went on a whole tangent about that, which was really awesome. And then we talked about indecision and how. Indecision is just a decision to not know or act. And then the third one was they focus on managing their minds and their thoughts first, not their actions. Also, we'll add this also last thing. They take responsibility. I talked about responsibility. They take responsibility of their thoughts. Let me give you an example. My husband, when I said this, he was so mad. He was like, do not say that to me. Like he was so mad, <laughs> but he, we were basically in the car and he said something and It made me feel like he was mocking me. Um, And so I was like, stop mocking me. He was like, I'm not, I'm being serious. I'm contributing to the conversation. And I was like, okay, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And so he was in a sour mood after and we were like walking to my office. And he said, I said, babe, I'm sorry. I take full responsibility of that situation. I should not have said that to you. That was my thought, not yours. He goes, babe, sometimes you just make me so angry. And I said, no, I don't make you angry. The thought you have about me makes you angry. And he was like, (laughs) like that. And I said, no, I truly want you to take responsibility. Because here's the thing. When you have a thought about something, you have a reaction about something It's not that thing that's making you upset. It's your thought about that thing. If someone comes up to me and says, Ashley, you are ugly. And let's say I get really upset. I'm not upset at the fact they said I was ugly. I'm upset because I had a thought about them telling me I was ugly. And that's subjective. Like I could have like my daughter go, mommy, you're being ugly. And that would not bother me at all. I'd be like, okay. But then if my husband was like, Ashley, you're ugly, that would hurt my feelings, but it would be two, the same exact words, the same exact words. And I'd have a thought, completely different thought about it. So when I say that too, that they focus on their thoughts, they also take responsibility of their thoughts. Like I take responsibility and I don't blame anybody else for, I don't blame anybody else for my thoughts. I don't blame anybody else for my feelings. I don't blame anybody else except me. Now, am I, am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Am I condoning that? No, I'm not condoning that. But I do get the power to control how I think about it and how it affects me at the end of the day. I hope this was really helpful and enjoyable. I hope that you all have the absolute best day ever. This is so fun. I'm just so happy that I can show up and just talk about everything that I love doing. And it's so joyful and ha, it's awesome. So thank you all for turning in or t- turning, tuning in who tuned in live. And thank you all who is listening to this episode on the podcast. And yeah, I hope you all have the most. Amazing day and we will see you next time. Bye. A oh, friend, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Fartner Round Show. I hope you had as much fun as I did and I would love, love for you to join us on the next podcast recording. You can go to www.ashimefernandez.com slash podcast to see our interview schedule and the link to join us live to get your questions answered, get some personalized feedback and one-on-one hot seat coaching from not only me, but the amazing guests that I bring on the show. So I hope to catch you in the next episode and until then, I will smell you later.